the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. My name is Rhody Fisher. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for getting us all here. We ask that you would allow the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts to be pleasing to you. Be with Chad, Tony, Mike, and I. And Father, we give this show to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are still in Psalm. And we're going to Psalm 30 today. And again, this is David, a psalm, <clears throat> a song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. I have not let the foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave and you kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, ye saints of his, and give thanks the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping, wow, I love this scripture. I almost want to cry. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, in my prosperity, I say, I will never be moved. Lord, by your favor, I have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cry out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will will the dust praise you? Will I declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, I have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. I have turned for me my... I'm sorry. Sorry about this. I love this scripture too. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have cut, I'm sorry again, you have put me off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Gosh, you know, I am so sorry that I stumbled over that. I just want to say that I've forgotten so much that Psalm 30 meant, meant so much to me. And for those of you that know me, I'll, I, you know the story, but I'll just tell it very quickly before I introduce my guest. Um, my p- previous husband passed away. And honestly, when he did, I, I've remarried now for those of you that know me, and I've been married now for 27 years. But I wanted to jump in that hole. Um, I could not get out of bed for over two weeks. And they kept saying to me, you know, we've got to bury him. We've got to do the service. We've got to get through this whole, and I just could not move. And the Lord, you know, turned my mourning into dancing. And I know that people that know me for a long time um, knew that it took about three months before I could really climb out of that bed and feel like I could live again. But that morning was so heavy. I just can't even tell you how hard that was for me. And I remember so well laying in bed and the Lord saying to me, not with these ears, but with my heart, Brody, talk to me. And I didn't want to. And he said, speak to me with your hands because I do sign language. And so I was... I don't know, hurt, angry, whatever. And I remember walking into the kitchen, my mother just kind of pushing me to go to eat and sitting at the table and praise music was going on. And I remember the Lord saying to me, dance with me. And I got up and I started doing praise music with my hands and talking to the Lord with my hands. 
for the first time in months that I could actually pray to the Lord. And so sorry about falling apart. When I started reading the psalm, I knew where I was, and I just had to tell that story. Um, and occasionally, and that's that's how I really spend time with the Lord, is dancing with Him. And so um, there it is. I want to introduce my special guest today. <clears throat> His name is Chad Davidson, and he's with Good Fight Ministries. Yep. Now, before we go into the ministry part of your walk with the Lord, I really would like to get to know you better and our guests to get to know you better. So if you could tell us a little bit about your background, where you were born. Was it in a Christian home? Did you go to a parochial school, maybe? You were a child of how many kids in the family? And where was that? Tell us a little bit about your life. Well, I do I do want to get to that, but you were just reading from that psalm, and Psalm 30 has a lot of comfort in my heart as well. Uh, you lost your husband, um, as, as you mentioned, and those, uh, there's those two statements, you know, turn my weeping or my morning into dancing, you know, pain in the night, joy in the morning. Yeah. Those were two scriptures that I wrote on my heart as well. When I lost my best friend, uh, the first person I ever brought to the Lord um, had passed away, and we had spent so many nights out in front of his grandparents' house, wanting wanting his grandparents, please, we want them to come to the Lord, we want them to know Jesus. And uh, when he passed away, it was really, really difficult uh, for for my wife, uh, for me. Uh, he was somebody that was very near to our heart, had even lived at my house uh, previously. But I remember we had the funeral, and it was the first time I had to help oversee a funeral. And it was very, very difficult. But I remember his grandma and grandpa came, and then the next thing you knew, the gospel was presented, and they were there the next day, Sunday morning, and we were doing baptisms, and the, the grandma asked if she could get baptized. She said, it's not too late for me, is it? Aww. And those two texts, I wrote out kind of just everything that I had felt, I kind of wrote it out in a post, not knowing that his grandma would ever see it, but just explaining from a picture from her baptism. And those were the two scriptures that I had placed with it because I remember weeping, you know, trying to hide it and be tough for my family. And, you know, usually I'd go in the shower and cry or whatever. Um, and I remember the Lord always bringing back joy. And so I, before I wanted to say, you know, who I am and where I'm from and everything, I had to say that because that psalm has a special place in my heart as well for the for the same reasons. But with all that, um, I grew up in Simi Valley, California. I am one of five children. I'm right dead in the middle. Now, I started off with a older brother and a younger sister, and then my parents adopted uh, my oldest brother and my youngest sister. So I stayed right in the middle both times. I grew up in Simi Valley, California, and my family was, we would say, nominally Christian, so by name only. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we did the, every once in a while would go to church here and there, but most of our life, you know, consisted of, I figured anybody who was a Republican was a Christian. So that's what I thought growing up uh, as a kid. And eventually over time, I was good at baseball and I grew up, uh, you know, I was a very good student as a young kid. But one of the issues that took place was my brother, who I absolutely love, my oldest brother who we adopted, him and his sister were adopted because my brother was molested by his mother, who was my aunt, and was molested for many years by her and her husband. And they would actually use him to bring his friends over so they could continue doing the, these acts. And she got put away for 18 years in prison. And my parents were like, we'll take him. You know, my mom and dad, hardworking. Um, I love my parents. I would never complain about my parents. They were just such, they love me. There was never a question. It wasn't like, oh, you're the middle child. Maybe you don't get this. My parents absolutely love me. My dad's an awesome, awesome guy. And they always worked hard and gave me a great example in that. But when they adopted my brother, I think, you know, at that time I was pretty much like a gate student and I tested really high on all my tests and I ended up being a class president eventually and student council and all that. But my brother being adopted and coming with a lot of baggage uh, from what was going on, he had already started um, drinking, using drugs at a young age. And they were obviously trying not to have that in our house, but they didn't really know, you know, and they hadn't experienced that as much with my brother and I, because we were still pretty young. And I was in the third grade, specifically the first time I got introduced to alcohol. And so I remember my dad was a beer drinker since he was a little kid. And um, he 
stressed to us not being drunks and stuff, but, you know, it's easier said than done, so to speak. So, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But it was one of those things you didn't think about at such a young age. And my dad is a mechanic, and a lot of times during Christmas times, they would give you alcohol bottles. My dad didn't drink hard liquor, so he'd put them above the cupboard. I didn't know that. But my brother, who was a little older, about 13, 14 when uh, he was adopted, he was like, he knew that. So, yeah, hey, you want to watch them? We're going to go grab something, and next thing you know, my brother's like, hey, just hop on the counter, and I remember the first time I drank, um, and I remember it became something where every time there's a big family party, I would start drinking, and eventually it was every weekend, and eventually it was every day, and so even though everything on the surface, I was, uh, I, I guess you could say I was a popularized whitewashed tomb, so everything on the surface when it came to my life growing up it looked really good. I was in the newspaper because I was a team captain of a CIF championship wrestling team. And I, you know, I, you know, I did everything was the popular guy, I had all the friends and all the parties and all that stuff. So everything was really good on the surface. But underneath it was, it was pretty dark. Uh, who I was. I was really, really into uh, like death metal, which was kind of weird because I was very, um, what you would call preppy, you know, mm-hmm. I still wear the college shirts, I guess, but I'd wear Abercrombie and Fitch and, you know, I would, uh, I was on the wrestling team and all that stuff. So I was more of a preppy kind of kid, but I was really into these dark metal bands, you know, Slipknot, Killswitch Engage, Hate Breed, Devil Driver. And I would go sit, you know, front row, work myself to the front row at, through mosh pits to sit front row at, you know, Ozfest. Um, and this was my life. I, I did, I, I memorized the lyrics. And so over the course of time, what took place was I didn't have obviously any reverence for God. I just figured he was somewhat like a butler. If I was in real trouble, I, oh God, help me get out of this. Don't let my mom know about my report card, you know, whatever. Um, you know, if I really wanted something, God, I really want to make the state tournament. I really want to do this in wrestling. I cry out to you. And my senior year, the thing which I thought at the time brought me joy, which was alcohol and girls and all that, was the thing that took away the one thing I actually worked really hard at, and that was my wrestling. My senior year, I got absolutely obliterated drunk, which I did every night, but specifically the day before a tournament was not something I was, would normally do, but um, it was kind of an optional tournament where the coach was like, oh, you can go if you want, you can not. So I didn't think I was going to go, and my friend, after drinking all night, just dropped me off, and I was wasted, drunk, wrestling at a tournament. And I got lifted in the air, and I put my hand back, and I snapped my hand. Um, I snapped my finger down here. I still have a scar down there where the nail hit. And um, and I tried to wrestle through it throughout the rest of the year with just a big club in one hand, and I didn't achieve any of the goals. And so I tried to blame everybody else, you know, except for me. And over the course of that time, you know, I still kind of had a faintly, oh, yeah, there's a God, but, you know, I'll I'll talk to him here and there. But I started kind of hardening my heart towards him. And then I ended up getting a DUI. I smashed my car, a tree, a car, a house, a mailbox. um, And I only got caught because my wallet fell out uh, at one of the scenes of the crime. And, And I believe... It's so interesting. You know, Psalm 73 says he sets their feet on slippery places. I really believe he made me slip and fall so I could get caught so I wouldn't die. But nonetheless, um, I, I went home and, and things just got worse. I think I really began to sear my conscience. And I had a big giant party at my house one night and we would do the same, same thing. A lot of people spend the night crash wherever in my room, you know, on my pool table, whatever it is. And, I would always have what we called the VIP room, uh, which was basically just my bedroom, and that's where the drugs and alcohol were used ad nauseum. And uh, a lot of the people in there, you know, I recognized, obviously, because they were invited in. And uh, the next night, a friend of mine said, hey, can you, you want to go to church? And I was like, I was like, ah, maybe we'll get breakfast, you know, after. That'd be kind of cool. So I was like, yeah, we'll go to church. And so I went to church. And, um, I thought, you know, whatever, I'm depressed, but my friends don't know it. I'm the happy, fun loving joker guy at the party usually. And next thing you know, I'm there, um, at the church and I see the same hands raised at worship next to me that were in my bedroom the night before. And it was at that point where I said, this whole thing's fake. God's not real. And I said, these guys are phonies. This God is phony. All of it's fake. And that was where I really seared my conscience with a hot iron and I suppressed the truth and unrighteousness because I basically told myself, now I can go sin however I want. 
I can do whatever I want. I didn't call it sin. I can do whatever I want and I'm not accountable to anybody because God's not even real. And I went into a deep, dark, I mean, I was getting in so many fights. I was doing steroids. Uh, I was trying to wrestle in college, trying to MMA fight, doing all these things. And I was absolutely just a lost individual for, for many years, uh, all the way up until, um, until I was almost 21 years old. I was lost in that, in that perpetual cycle. Um, I don't remember a single sober, fully sober day from the time I turned about 18 until the day I received Christ. Wow. That's a huge block of time. Yeah. Now, did your parents know that you were doing all these, this drinking and drugging? Yeah, I, I think with my with my parents, it's somewhat when you love your kids, and I have four of them now. But um, you know, obviously they're a little younger, so you don't want to believe they're doing horrible, horrible things, right? So my parents, I think, probably adopted a terrible philosophy, which I've heard from parents who I love. But as long as they're doing it with me, it'll be okay. You know, as long as they're at my house, they'll be safe. And the problem is it never stays in the house. And the problem with sin is that when you sow it, you reap it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened uh, because I wasn't just, oh, well, if I just have parties at my house, I just drink here with some friends, everything will be all right. I didn't just stop there. You know, it, it, it continued to go. So my parents had a good knowledge, um, but it's it's a real problem when your life is a party lifestyle too. Not that my parents were as much uh, party lifestyle, especially my mom, not as much. But, um, you know, it's hard to tell people don't drink, don't get drunk when you do it yourself Mm -hmm. and they see the repercussions of it they saw obviously the evidence of it of my car being smashed in the front yard and cops all around the house Um, but nonetheless it was something that I think it it just was small and everything was well Chad's still doing this and in the world that's one of the things that happens is well as long as my kid is still going to school doing something good I've had so many conversations with non-believing parents now as a, as a saved person with kids that, well, my son's fine. He's going to school and stuff. I'm like, well, and now knowing, and I've been involved in different uh, drug teaching at drug rehabilitations and, and things like that, but now because I've had friends that their parents had those ideas. Well, it's not that big a deal. It's just a little weed. It's just a little this. And they've cooked themselves on heroin. I mean, multiple friends that I've begged with parents like, hey, please, let, let me let me grab your kid out of this, you know, taking kids out of drug homes, literally out of drug houses, having guys try to fight me, you know, and stuff like that. And they don't recognize that it's the little foxes that ruin the whole garden. And that's exactly what happens. It's these little things that they're like, oh, it's just weed. It's just alcohol. It's just not a big deal. But you realize you're festering, festering sin. And that's what happened in my life. So you left us at 21 years of age. Yeah, about about a week before my 21st birthday. And so tell me about how you meet Jesus and and it changes your life. Yeah, you know, it's it's really cool because I've given um, a version of this uh, and I call it wrestling saved my life. Uh, and that's because as a as a wrestler, you know, the only thing that kept me in high school at all was because I needed to pass classes and I needed to go to classes and I wanted to make sure I... I was making grades so that I could wrestle. And I met friends along the way. And some of those friends, a lot of them were my biggest partying friends. And we used to party a lot together. And two specific friends would reach out to me. Um, and it was, it was actually really, really cool what happened. I ended up getting a job at a steakhouse as a waiter. And they were going to church all of a sudden, these two specific friends. And they would stop by my, uh, they would go to church at Blessed Hope Chapel, the church I now attend and serve at. Uh, they would go there in the morning. And then they'd go to eat uh, at my restaurant before they'd go to a different church for Sunday night service. And little did I know, you know, I thought they were just coming in to say hi because they're my old friends, that they would go into that service and they would pray for me. They would say, I want to, we're going to be praying for my friend Chad, you know, and I'd be in there. And I'm sure I tell most people this, when it comes to sharing the gospel with people, I was as arrogant proud as they come and fairly witty. So I'm good at making fun of people and, uh, which is not a good trait. It's a horrible trait, but as a non-believer, it's how it was. And, uh, what happened was, is the one friend completely stopped parting with us. The other one never really drank with us, but hung out with us. He didn't want to have anything to do with that. But my other friend completely stopped parting with us. And at the time I was literally having a party six days a week at my house, six days a week, because the only day we would not was like, ah, I'll go to someone else's house to party. And I'm like, we always have girls there. We always have this. What happened to, what happened to Adam? Where, where's this guy? And he's one of the guys that's praying for me and trying to reach out to me. 
And finally, he's like, hey, why don't you come over? We're gonna go see him. I'm going to go see a movie. He was going to film school at the time. And he's, he said, it's called Expelled No Intelligence Allowed. And I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll check it out, whatever, no big deal. So I went and watched that movie. Now, at the time, I'm in college, and I've already been fortified in my own mind that I'm an atheist. You know, not like some, I'm going online and debating people. I just didn't believe there was a God at that point. And he's like, let's go watch this movie. And when I watched that movie, basically what happened was I looked at some of these guys that I've read, seen online, seen talks, some of these big atheist heads, you know, like Richard Dawkins, for example, get asked the most simplistic questions about the creation of the world. And I just was like, this guy has no answer. Like there's, he has nothing to give. And for me, you always appeal to authority, especially when you're a new college kid and you're like, well, if I don't have an answer to the beginning of the universe, at least Richard Dawkins will. And I realized at that moment, I was like, wow, I was just on shaky ground. I was on sand. I knew that the foundations of this worldview that I was creating in order so that I could practice my sin, I knew that it was built on sand. I knew it was a joke. And so I just had those doubts, but it wasn't like, oh, I repent. I come to the Lord. And so a few months later, uh, I still, the friend's still not hanging out with me, still not doing anything. And I'm like, it's kind of weird. And he's like, hey, man. It's in January now, and he's like, hey, I, I, I want to get back in shape. Let's start getting working out. I was like, yeah, me too. I just getting back in shape. I had some surgeries on my foot, so I gained some weight, and I was just off steroids. So now I'm like, okay, I got to get back in shape, hopefully get ready for a new wrestling season and all that. And he brings me over to his house first before we go to the gym, and we start talking, and we start talking about heaven and hell. And he says, you know, Chad, I, I kind of wonder, you know, if you think uh, you would get into heaven if you died today. And I was like... Well, if there is a heaven, and at the time I wasn't like expressing it, but I didn't think there was. He said, well, if there is a heaven, you know, would you go there? And I said, well, if there is one, I think, yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. Like most people like me. I talk to parents, everyone, you know, I'm good at my job, you know, whatever it is. I'm, you know, people like me. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And he's like, okay, do you think I can give you a test to see if that's true? And I'm like, okay, you can try. Yeah, let's go. He's like, how many lives have you told in your life? And I started laughing. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I can't, I can't even count. He's like, well, what do you call someone who tells so many lies they can't even count them? And I said, well, you call him a liar. He's like, okay. He's like, have you ever stolen anything? I'm like, well, I probably stole alcohol yesterday from a store, you know, something. And he's like, yeah, what do you call someone who steals? And I said, uh, call him a thief. He's like, so you are? I said, a thief. He's like, no. And I was like, He's like, you're a lying thief. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, this isn't going so good. He's like, okay, number three. He's like, have you ever blasphemed, you know, stubbed your toe on something and you say, oh, my G-O-D. And, uh, you know, and he's like, has he ever done that before? And I'm like, well, yeah, I do that all the time, you know. And he's like, you know, that's blasphemy. You know, you don't stub your toe and say, oh, my Adolf Hitler, you know, oh, Joseph Stalin. You know, you, you're, you're using, God has given you life and breath in the tongue that you speak with and you use that tongue as a curse word, something to show disgust towards something. He's like, it's very serious. It's called blasphemy. He's like, okay, I've only asked you three questions, but out of the three, you've already failed. Okay. He's like, so by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving blasphemer. And I haven't even gotten to the rest of the Ten Commandments. He's like, so if you stood before God on the day of judgment, he judged you by those credentials and said, hey, what have you, have you broken my laws? Have you broken these laws? Would you be innocent or guilty? I said, well, apparently I'd be guilty. He's like, so you go to heaven or hell? And I said, well, I, I guess I go to hell according to that. And he said, he's like, does that concern you? I'm like, well, yeah, if it's true, that would really concern me if I'm going to go to hell. And he said, he's like, do you know what God did in order that you wouldn't have to go to hell for all eternity and get exactly what you deserve? I said, no. And he's like, that's what Jesus did. When Jesus went on that cross, he said, to tell us die paid in full. So that when God looks at you, every fine that you've, every single crime that you've committed has been paid in God's blood. It says in Acts 20, 28. And he said, your fine has been paid and all you have to do is look unto him. You repent and put your trust in Jesus. And if you have faith in Jesus, uh, he will save you. And I, I was like, well, that makes sense. And that was the first time probably where the atonement, Jesus dying for my sins actually made sense to me. Mm-hmm. But I, I still didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't sold yet. I was like, okay, that's a cool gospel presentation, whatever. So we go to the gym and we're working out. And he says, he says, he's talking with another guy who's a believer. And they were talking about this weird video. And they said, yeah, yeah, man, you see all that like satanic symbolism. It's really interesting. It's really weird. And I was like, what are you talking about? Now, at the time, I'm probably on my headphones listening to Slipknot at the time. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I'll give you the, it's a, it's a video. I'll give it to you when I, when, when I get home. I'm like, okay. So we drive back to his house after working out and I get the DVD and I go home. I drink myself a stupor. I throw it on and I pass out. Don't think anything of it. 
Then the next uh, next night, I'm at a party. And I'm, I'm playing a game called beer pong and I'm drinking hard liquor with that and talking to my friend and I'm like, Hey man, I got this weird, like weird video and you're more religious than me. Now my friend, uh, was not saved or anything, but he had grown up going to church here and there and he would, he would had crosses and stuff. So I was like, you're more religious than me. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll like this video. Maybe I'll come over and watch it tomorrow. I still, outside of now knowing, uh, knowing Christ, why I would say that even at that time. But God was pulling at me. I believe in provenient grace. I think God was drawing me to himself. And basically, uh, I, wa- I drove over to my friend's house the next night. Uh, and we watched the video. And it's called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. And throughout it, I just could not get around. Uh, I tried to, in my own mind, logically deduce, no, maybe this. These are just, these are just mere happenstance. It's just, it, they just all, it all correlates. But eventually, I succumb to the mountain of evidence uh, that there is really evil in this world. That there's a, I know that there's evil. I know that there is a Satan, that there are demons, that these things are real. This isn't like, we're not playing games here. This is actually legitimate. And upon recognizing that, I began thinking as I'm watching this three-hour video, I'm thinking in my in my head, and my friend's stopping, and we're talking about this back and forth, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, Things making me nervous is that if there's really a devil, if there's really evil, and there's really a, a wickedness, then there's a standard. There's an objective standard of truth, and the the frightening thing is, is that there's really a God, and this whole thing's real. That whole gospel message, that whole thing's real. And I remember the presenter in the video, Joe Schimmel, says these words, and I now believe um, that these are the words that brought salvation to me, uh, because the Bible is very clear that. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the words of Christ, and we are saved by grace through faith. And so I do believe it was these words, and it was the words in Matthew 12, 30, where he said, He who is not with me is against me. And he said these words as a commentary to that. He says, To not make a choice is to make a choice. Now, I had a tongue ring at that time in my mouth. Uh, I remember I still got down on my knees, uh, even at my friend's house. I pulled my tongue ring down. I, I prayed. I was like, I need to, I need to repent. I remember I got into uh, my little my little Toyota truck at the time, and I drove uh, to the beach. I was like, I gotta go. I told my friend, I just gotta go, man. I gotta go. And I was praying to this God that I just came to know, and He had filled me with His Holy Spirit, without a doubt. I was now convicted about all these sins. I had this rack of CDs on my uh, on the thing on my overhead. I took it. I literally threw it underneath my seat. I was like, I don't want to listen to this stuff anymore. My friend had a worship album that I threw in there, and I and I was playing the music. And I drove to the beach, not thinking anything like of where I was driving. I was praying for the first time, driving back, praying for the first time. The sun's coming up. We have a cross in Simi Valley called Mount McCoy. The sun's coming up, beating onto the cross as I'm driving in. I went to a Bible store as soon as it opened. I bought a Bible. I went to my work. I started reading from Matthew. I called my friend. I said, hey, you know that video you gave me? He's like, yeah. He's like, where's this guy? I need to meet him. I don't know who he is, but I'll drive anywhere. I don't care. I want to meet this guy who made this video. He's like, well, that's my pastor, so come to church on Sunday. And, you know, funny enough, that's exactly what happened. I went to church on Sunday, and I met him. And he gave me a stack of everything his ministry had at the time. So like, here, bro, go watch these. And uh, I hear Tony laughing in the background because he knows we got that surfer accent back in uh, Cali, especially Pastor Joe. And I started watching with a friend. And then eventually, interestingly enough, I began being discipled by Pastor Joe. He would take me out to Third uh, Street Promenade uh, in Santa Monica, and we would go out sharing the gospel. And while out sharing the gospel, uh, I began a, a good friendship with all the rest of the younger adults that were going out there at the time. And we started a Bible study and, uh, all would just, you know, it was a time of growth for me. And I became, I became addicted to telling people about this faith that I had come to know, this Jesus that I had come to know. And I noticed there was a young lady there, uh, that she was sharing specifically, I remember in my head, she was sharing with a Jewish man all of the typologies of the Old Testament and then went, brought that to Isaiah 53, the prophecy of the Messiah coming and being bruised for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions. And I just remember her watching her and as a, you know, growing in sanctification as a young man, as a young believer, I remember watching her and thinking, wow, that is a beautiful lady and a beautiful young woman and 
the fact that she knows the word like that and the fact that she can share it with confidence, I was like, I need to step up my game. I better know this word better. And uh, it wasn't even to be like, oh, I got to be, you know, to be in a relationship. I literally believed as a new believer, I had done so much horrible things. I don't deserve anything. Salvation is good enough for me. I know I'm going to be a single man. I'm going to be a single man. I have the gift of singleness. And I'm like, that's who I am and that's who I'm going to be. Uh, God always has way more grace, I, I think, uh, than we even expect. And uh, that same long, young lady, we began a very close friendship. And then that friendship um, turned into I absolutely fell head over heels in love with her. I told her father I wanted to court her. And uh, I asked to court her. And then I asked her father uh, about 10 months from then uh, if I could marry her while we were on a mission trip in Africa together. And then we married in nine months and five days from our wedding day. We had our first little boy, Eliezer. <laughs> Beautiful story, Chad. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. How long ago was that that you gave your heart to the Lord, fell on your knees after looking at that video? That was January 19th, 2009. Wow. Now, and and then right after that, you, you're, you're going out and spreading the gospel at Third Street Promenade, um, your heart is already wanting to serve Jesus Christ as your Savior and, and sh- you know, spread the gospel? Yeah, amen. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's really interesting. And I think about this a lot when it comes to John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. You know, when he comes to her and she's asking him, you know, well, you know, give me this water and all of these things. And then he calls her out and says, you know, hey, where's your husband? You know, and she goes, it's a, it's a beautiful story. And then he says, he said, he knows exactly what's going on in her life and, and calls her out for it in love. And then the next thing you know, she just goes back to her hometown. And what does she deliver? All she delivers is what she had known at that point. Hey, come, come right? There's this guy who told me everything that ever happened in my life. He's not the Christ, is he? And then what happens after that is what I believe that's our job. That's a picture of our job now. What happens after that is then Jesus comes. And, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, For Apollos watered and I planted, you know, God causes the growth, you know, and that's ultimately what took place there. And for me, all I knew is I loved Jesus. And what I believe is that when believers go out and share the gospel, what happened to me will happen to them as well, where their faith is then put in a microwave. And it's like, if you've been sitting around not sharing the gospel and you really want to say, man, I want to know more scriptures. I want to have more of these things memorized. I want to know these other doctrines that people are following. Microwave your faith by sharing the gospel. It changed my walk. And You know, the Bible actually tells pastors, it was a pastoral epistle that Paul told Timothy to do the work of evangelists. Now, evangelists have a job that God has given them in the order of the church, but also he says, hey, you're a pastor, but you need to do the work of an evangelist because my pastor did the work of an evangelist. He discipled me in that. And then now, praise the Lord, we've taken, we just got, we have a crew right now as we're sitting here, we call them the 511 Street Team based off of 511 News, a podcast show that I have. And they're in Texas right now in a group sharing at the Alamo. They just handed out 600 tracks. I got a text right before we started here, and we were just back out there, and we have groups all over the place. And now, because of that, I've learned to disciple in the same manner, that we teach people how to share the gospel. And that's what we've been doing. And because a pastor did what the, what Paul told Timothy to do by way of the Holy Spirit, and because it was enacted upon, it then showed me that's what I need to be doing, is sharing the gospel, and it changed my walk with Christ. Okay, beautiful. I I do want to ask you about your ministry. Yeah. And you're involved in Good Fight Ministries. Tell us a little bit about that and how that started. Yeah, how it started. I mean, I can only give so much of Joe's testimony, but it's a radical, radical testimony. It started in 1987. I was born in 88. uh, So it even started before I was born. And Joe was very much like me, uh, very, he's much bigger than I, but, uh, he's very much, he's very much like me in, in the sense that, uh, you know, he was into athletics and stuff, but then he also got into, you know, in the 60s, 70s, you get into drugs, you know, he was into a lot of different drugs, LSD and, and, and definitely, you know, weed at a very young age. And so he was in that lifestyle growing up as a Catholic and then eventually he just like, oh, this thing's not real. And he got really into occultic, I mean, just absolute new age satanic stuff. And so he began to get into music and music was kind of, you know, music was his muse, so to speak. And what would happen was, is he was literally coming to a place. He thought he was just getting into his self-conscious mind through cybernetics and all this stuff. But really what was happening, and it took him a while to realize 
was that he was being demonically attacked, oppressed, and probably even possessed because he was literally opening himself up to demons. He would write these lyrics that at that time were way beyond his comprehension. He's like, I didn't even read books back then. He's like, I didn't care about books except for these new age, you know, occultic uh, mumbo jumbo. But he would go into them and read them and then go into these trances. He would get automatic writing. He would have a humming in his sound. Humming, humming in his ear a sound uh, continually and he would come out and write these lyrics to songs uh, I think he says service tress where there are rainbows or something along those lines where he would have to look up the words like trest and 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 he would have to look up all these different words that he would write down that just came to him because he was opening himself up because demonic activity is real. We don't, we can't look at the New Testament. We can't look at what Jesus did exercising demons. You just think of the man at the Gadarenes, you know, throwing him into pigs and whatnot. But, but regardless, you see this and he himself as an agnostic just thought, wow, I'm really getting into my self-conscious mind. And then eventually, there was one time specifically he used to have a waterbed. That kind of dates him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, he used to have a waterbed, and he said that it literally looked like a wave was coming over him, a wave from the waterbed. And he prayed, and he prayed. All he prayed was this simple, he said, simple, ignorant prayer. He didn't know what, it, what he was talking about. He said, if this is good, if this is good, and it stopped. And then he went into complete paralysis another time. And at that time, he cried out to God, and God delivered him immediately. And then he began reading the Bible and same thing happened to me. You know, when I, when I started reading the Bible, the, the, just the words were like jumping off the pages. I mean, everything just immediately made sense. I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is Jesus that saved me. I, I understood. And the same thing happened to him, but he didn't just sit there and bury that under a bushel. What happened was he began researching and realizing that the same bands that, you know, he had all over, streamed all over his walls, all the posters that he had, he ripped them down because he realized that they were having the same humming, if you don't know, you know, they were having the same lyrics were being poured out. And many of them talked about automatic writing. Guys like Jimi Hendrix, even his own uh, girlfriend talked about how he said he was possessed over and over again, would try to find a witch doctor to hopefully get it out. Um, you know, he would talk about how the Beatles, John Lennon said that uh, the entire beat of philosophy was do what thou wilt, which was literally a quotation from the book of the law by Satanist Aleister Crowley. And he said the entire Beatle philosophy, everything behind them was just that. And actually he, they endorsed, the Beatles endorsed a man named Timothy Leary for office. And Timothy Leary was like the drug guru of the 1960s and 70s. And T Timothy Leary, he said in a PBS interview that he believed that he was putting forth the work of a Lester Crowley and that he would be absolutely just ecstatic about the work that has already gone on. And he realized that every time he'd go, he'd go through the doors and he'd look and Aleister Crowley would be on a bust in one of the album, one of the doors albums and just over and over and over and over and over again. And these were all the things that I watched uh, at, in, during their video. They sold their social rock and roll and realized this is not mere happenstance. This is not an accident. The Beatles on Sergeant Cub, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Cubs band, they had literally a picture of Aleister Crowley in the top left. I mean, over and over again, you see these things and he saw the synergy behind it. And basically what happened was he said, I'm taking this and I'm going to make this a presentation and started showing it to people all over the place. And eventually somebody said, I want to record you doing this. And they, it was called Rock and Roll Sorcerers, the New Age Revolution. And they recorded him doing it at a church. And a ton of people ended up coming to the Lord. And then he teamed up, I leave across TV, but I wasn't around back then to, to tell you, but he teamed up and helped make uh, the DVD, They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, which is the video that I watched. And the gospel was presented and I, I gave my life to Christ. And since then, not only uh, through different music and also through media, he's made a, a DVD called um, Hollywood's War on God, where he shows where so many different movies touch, literally go back to the philosophy of Gnosticism, which was the number one thing against battle against the early church. Uh, that was the, that was Satan's fortified plan, Gnosticism, and it's still being preached today in movies over and over again. He did a, another video recently on, uh, called the submerging church where we went in, what was going on in the emergent church movement and a lot of the seepy doctrines that would come in by, with postmodernism, denying the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ and getting in absolute, I mean, it, it was pretty radical, some of the stuff that was going on, and praise God, between our ministry's video, which has did very, very well and, and got out 
the message and warned people about what was trying to come into their churches between that video and a number of other ministries that put out stuff saying, hey, the emergent church is coming by way of like Rob Bell, who denies the existence of an eternal hell. Um, guys like Doug Paget and Doug McLaren and some of these false teachers, we need to be shepherds in our churches. And that video, I think, absolutely positively did a great job of putting a nail in a lot of the emergent church that tried to come and sneak into a lot of the churches on notice, as Jude warns uh, in Jude one four. And so we've put together a number of documentaries is what we are most known for. Um, You're talking about Good, good, good Fight Ministries. ministries. Yes. Okay. So for Good Fight Ministries um, is what we're most known for. Joe's been doing this, like I said, since 1987. Um, we also consider ourselves not only an apologetics ministry, um, but also uh, evangelistic ministry and a discernment ministry. And so we, Joe's heart is evangelism, my heart's evangelism, Tony's heart's evangelism, everyone at Good Fight Ministries, our hearts are evangelism. And so one of the ways we do that is through documentaries. A lot of people have seen our video online, uh, Beyonce, Sasha, the Super Bowl and Satan, which was a video that's been seen by hundreds of millions of people all over the world, which warned of people warn people of what was going on really with some of these Super Bowl performances and specifically uh, with Beyonce, who most people thought was pretty vanilla Mm -hmm. at the time. Now she's come out with some pretty radical stuff, but uh, at the time, most people thought she was fairly vanilla. But we had interviews where she's literally talking about how Sasha is a different person and she literally would feel something come into her before she could perform and be provocative uh, like she is. And we know that no spirit uh, of God would make people dance around and like she does in the outfits that she does as well. And you have also her husband, Jay-Z, wearing a shirt, do without wilt, blazing across the front of it. And I think people were shocked by that. We had a number of people, I mean, that ended up coming to the Lord uh, through that. And then most recently, we've done a couple of what docu-series. We um, were able to build our own studio, and we've been working on docu-series. Our most recent one was called Satan's Sex Scheme, where we document from, we have a video called The Kinsey Syndrome, which documents Dr. Alfred Kinsey and his faulty research that he did in the 1960s that, and how it was popularized through Hugh Hefner, who got a hold of it, and then basically used Playboy as a means for the eyes to pop and a man to look at and popularize the information that Kinsey was already sharing, basically would change the laws in the United States concerning a lot of the sexual laws that we had here in the States and then how pornography as a whole became the new norm. We actually interviewed people on the streets. One of the guys from 511 Street Team, uh, Nicholas Anessian, went out and interviewed people on the streets just asking younger people, do you watch porn? 100% of them, yes, 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 men, women girls, boys, whatever, all over the 18, but, <laughs> but ask them, all of them, yes. And so we discovered how porn became the new norm. And then also what we did on our last one is showing the connection between sex trafficking and pornography, because a lot of people don't realize these girls are sex trafficked and they think, oh, it's like the movie Taken, you know, this girl gets stolen, sex trafficked, and then they sell her to some, you know, big dude for a lot of money. But really the girls that are most exploited and that are the most profitable are the ones that they do sex traffic, but they do it by way of pornography, by filming them over and over and over again. And so many of these people that have gone on to websites like Pornhub has, have watched hours and hours and hours of kidnapped little girls who, who are being raped. And so we try to bring that conviction to let people know, hey, this is serious. It's bad enough, but the Holy Spirit needs to convict you concerning pornography. But also remember, while you're doing this, you are helping to propagate sex trafficking because it's impossible to disconnect those two. And uh, something we also are doing is we have two podcast shows. Um, we have the Good Fight Radio Show, which is the logo I have in my chest. Yeah. Uh, the Good Fight Radio Show, we've, we record four episodes a week covering topics as much as news to the occult, to doctrinal questions, apologetic issues. And then we also have 511 News, which is a show Tony and I put together every Friday, which is literally the news of the week. Basically, we have a we have a Facebook page with 56,000 or so people on it, and we post news every day. And I said, well, I'm posting this every day. Why don't I talk about it? You know, And that's basically what the show became is the things that we're talking about, the things that people are debating, what's going on in culture, what's going on in Christianity. Some of these pastors that may fell, uh, may have fell recently, how do we answer those things biblically and how do we encourage people biblically? And so we started a little podcast show, and now we have our own studio. I've been filming shows as well, docuseries. Wow, this is exciting that this is going on. Now, is is Joe, Pastor Joe, still involved 
with Good Fight? Oh yes, yes, yes. He is uh, he is still the president of Good Fight Ministries. He I just host the show, uh, Good Fight Radio Show. It's mostly him uh, speaking when we do do it. We we talk back and forth, but um, yeah, he is. Uh, every time we do a documentary, it's me and him usually together. Or he's actually working on one that I don't even have my hands in, uh, covering Marvel in DC and some of the connections with uh, Satanism as well and some of that. And he's working on that and almost done with it. And they've edited about two hours and forty five minutes of a three hour ish. Uh, film. So if so. somebody wants to get their hands on the video that saved you, yeah. that you watched, um, or some of the other videos that he's done, how do they get their hands on it? Yeah, best way to go is to goodfight.org. That's our website, goodfight.org. You can find all of our material on there as well. And you can connect with us. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube is where we have probably our most viewership. We have over 100, about 110,000 subscribers on there. So yeah, join us, subscribe to us on YouTube. You can, cause we're always putting out videos all the time on there. And then you can also go to our Facebook page. And now we just made a parlor <laughs> just in case at good fight. So we we're we're all over and th- that's where you get those, those videos. You could just Google search them and find them everywhere, but go to goodfight.org. You can find all of our material that we have. And so pastor Joe is still pastoring this church. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, the church that we go to, um, I'm the youth pastor. Tony is the worship leader and Joe is the pastor of the church, uh, is Blessed Hope Chapel. And so we like to say we put out seven podcasts a week because we put out five via Good Fight and two via Blessed Hope. And Joe teaches every Wednesday and Sunday at Blessed Hope Chapel. We have a full live stream. Uh, We actually have a live stream community with churches all over. Um, We actually have a church plant in Mexico. That's not a live stream community, but there's a Blessed Hope Chapel in Ensenada that we work with. There's a Blessed Hope Chapel, Australia. And uh, we also have our home groups through our live stream that are really interconnected with us. Um, we have five in Texas, and we have three now in New York. We have two in, in Florida, and we have another one in Idaho, and one that just started in Kentucky, where we have home groups all over. Growing. God bless you guys. Now, let me ask you this. Can you go on Good Fight to watch previous sermons that were done? Or previous Bible studies that were done, are they still stored on 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 Good Fight? So we a lot of our teachings we do have on Good Fight. Some of them specific ones that we'll upload on Good Fight. But you can go to blessedhopechapel.org dot org and okay. and you can go and find all the sermons. And you can also find all those on our YouTube channel, Blessed Hope Chapel, which also has every sermon. I think it probably has six or seven years of sermons on there. Um, and we just yeah we're really really excited uh, about that to get to be able to get that out as well because we've had somebody working on uploading all the older ones as well. So it's been something we've been pushing a lot and trying to encourage. And it's been a, just an awesome process to get a lot of body of believers together. And a lot of people are supporting uh, the church and the ministry. I come to Christ and I start praying for my dad immediately. And it didn't take too well, you know, early on, because when you think you're a Christian, you know, the Bible says in James, they're self-deceived. And when you think you're a Christian and someone then all of a sudden is actually following the Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit, they think you're crazy, right? So I'm sure my parents probably thought, and I I'm just going to be honest. I'm sure you could probably tell even with how much I talk, but uh, I'm somewhat of a bull in a china shop and I can be very quick and, and very loud and, and let you know exactly how I feel. And so that especially pre-progressive uh, sanctification, uh, I was probably pretty loud and boisterous. You guys need to follow Jesus, deleting everything on DVR that, <laughs> that had Family Guy or something on I didn't agree with. And uh, I think that was probably tough at, at first, but, um, you know, eventually praying over and over and over again. My dad would drink, you know, almost every day of his life since he was 12 years old. Um, I was praying specifically, please uh, let my dad see he doesn't need that. You know, if that's keeping him from wanting to follow the Lord, you know, our sin separates us from our God. So I think if that's keeping him from wanting to follow the Lord, Lord, take it out of his life. And he said he was sitting in, uh, he was sitting in his, you know, at his, at his work eating lunch one day and a little pamphlet was there, just happened to be there that said, are you an alcoholic? And he said, he looked at every one of these things on the list and he's like, I qualify. And he said, I'm going to stop drinking. And not too long after that, he was, at church with us, phone Lord. And now my dad, who is 
my dad is an, one of the best mechanics I've ever seen. I can't change my oil, uh, but all my family is mechanics except for me. Um, but my dad, uh, funny enough, is so different from me. I'm very logical and, you know, I, I, I like philosophy and, and studying theology and those things. My dad, it's so awesome because he can talk to anybody. And I'm sitting there and I'm the evangelist. And before I can even get a word in edgewise, you know, right after I think he really came to the Lord, before I could ever get words in edgewise, he beats me to it. Hey, do you know Jesus? You know, and it's so funny because it's such a different approach, you know. Uh, and I'm like, it's so cool how the Lord makes us differently, hands and feet, and to see the different personalities and see my dad uh, and my, you know, my mom coming as well, you know, uh, walking with the Lord. It's one of the most amazing things, one of the biggest blessings. I mean, it, there, there's nothing like it, really. So you're the middle child of five. I am. And you have brothers and sisters. I do. And do you don't have to share their whole story, but are they walking with the Lord? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. My sister would say she was a believer, but um, one of my sisters, uh, maybe probably both would. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't too, uh, I wouldn't, I don't think that she's born again. Um, and my brothers both know what the truth is and have yet to come to that truth. So we're still praying. Oh yeah. I hope I'm, I'm praying that they're just building their testimony because yeah. uh, yeah. that's what I was doing. So that's my goal. Yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. What a wonderful, beautiful story. Now, thank God for your ministry, and I'm going to check that out. It's so good, and check out some of those sermons, too, on online. And I want to thank you all for listening to this wonderful testimony and all that you do, I praise the Lord for. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com, spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.